Right, before we start today's Agitpod, we have something to ask you all. What you don't know, or you may know, is that we've been doing Agitpod for several weeks now, and we've been doing it all for free. That means that our website, our producer, our time is all given for free, and we absolutely love doing it, and we love having lots of guests on. But basically, it's unsustainable for us to keep doing it for free forever, because there's lots of people who put work into it who aren't getting paid. And so what we're hoping is that you might be up for giving a certain amount every month, not too much, or just a one-off donation to help keep Agitpod going and to pay for the time that people put into it and the equipment that we bought for it and the website and also to fund lots of things that we want to do in the future, like live events, like building a community, all of that kind of stuff. So if you're up for that, we have a donation page on our website, which is really, really easy to use, and you'll be able to donate there. Although, just to say, because Ellie, you know, she's got precarious work, I don't, so my money's going to go I'm one of the statistics. Yeah, so mine's going to go to campaigns to save the world or something. Yeah, and if you have any ideas about where you might like Owen to donate the money, uh, send us an email, because now we have one of those. So you can contact us at hello at agitpod.com. Don't worry, we're not threatening to put up a paywall. Agitpod will always be free to download. We just need your help to keep it going and make it a little better. If this life is driving you to drink, you sit around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know, I don't worry about a thing, cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hello, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen. I am Owen Jones. And I'm Ed Miliband. You can't do that! Keep no that. one's ever done that before, have they? Keep that as the introduction, because it's funny. We'll just keep going. So, um, you can hear the dulcet tones of the Radio 2 DJ, Ed Miliband. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's already, I've already done that bit. <laughs> well, this is a... We're getting schooled. Not very professional, so this, episode, this episode of the podcast will be Ed Miliband teaching us how to do a podcast. We're being so. trolled. We're being trolled by Radio 2 DJ. Yeah, who's that exactly? How was it? Come and tell us about Radio 2. What happened there, oh, then? Yeah. for me. What was um, your, what were your I heard you doing death metal. It was please, pretty rubbish. Please, can I recommend everybody looks up the YouTube video of Ed Miliband doing death metal? It's now it my was... ringtone. <laughs> he was very nice, that man, Barney. What was it? Napalm Death. Napalm Death. Are you big? I are prefer you... their early stuff, actually. <laughs> Do you want to give us some death uh, metal? No, 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 no. I sort of I went into retirement <laughs> after <laughs> that moment, basically. He, he did promise before we started recording to do some death metal live, so broken his promise. That's Disappointed, but you know, we'll we'll just we'll move you know, on. We'll just muscle on through. Yeah. Um yeah, Radio City is like gonna be the beginning of a of a it's one week only. One week only. That's a tragedy. Ian Duncan Smith week after. He was rubbish, by the way. You I can't say I it because you're extremely unfair. Well he Well how diplomatic. He did that some kind of music thing in me jigs, didn't he? Yeah, I mean it is not what kind of music did he play? People. I feel like, I remember you played Steps. I remember that. Yeah, I really liked Steps, actually. Did you? Yeah. What was your favourite? Do you remember? Story of a Heart. <laughs> yeah, well, you know why? It's quite interesting. It was, you know, do you know Story of a Heart? No, do you know what? I don't know Story of a Heart. But, you know, it was written by the people who who wrote the ABBA songs. It was Bjorn, No, it was actually written by ABBA, sorry, Bjorn and Benny. Well, that's... Owen is looking like... <laughs> I never thought I'd say it, but Ed Miliband is significantly camper than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've shown by his taste in music. <laughs> but confident about it. He's, he's perfectly comfortable with himself. Yeah, he carries it off, Owen, unlike <laughs> you. <laughs> 
Blimey. Right, so at the moment you're um, you're at war with an evil empire. You probably wouldn't phrase it as such. No, I think describing your podcast in that way is extremely <laughs> unfair. Burn. We're getting burned by unbelievable. Uh, uh, this uh, is a, uh, a real low for me. I'm getting burned. Someone ring the burns trans- unit because we've yeah. got two casualties. Um, some ointment for the burns we're getting here. You're talking about Rupert Murdoch. I think we are talking about Rupert Murdoch. We are Murdoch. talking about Rupert Murdoch. Be serious for a moment. Yeah. What do you want to ask me about it? So what's going what's on? Going on? Come us. on, what's going on with Roots? I mean, look, what, 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 how do I even, where do I even start? Uh, 2011, phone hacking is revealed. Mm. Everybody says, never going to be the same again. Uh, politicians got too close. Cameron says, no media empire should be able to exercise that kind of power ever again. 2016, Rupert Murdoch, James Murdoch, come along and say... Pretend nothing's happened. Totally shameless. Say, well, we're going to de- launch the same bid for Sky that we launched last time. Uh, the bid was derailed by phone hacking. And acts as if nothing has happened, having rehired Rebecca Brooks and all of that. And I think a lot of people in the industry and indeed in politics thought, well, phone hacking's out of the news, it's going to go ahead. And I just thought, well, that's just wrong. It's totally wrong. How dare these people come back mm. and and... You know, given everything we know about them, try and take over Sky again with all of the dangers of turning it into Fox News, etc. And actually, a bit like in 2011, I think gradually they are being undone. I don't know whether we will succeed by another scandal, this time at Fox News, which is the epidemic of sexual harassment and the allegations of racial harassment Mm. that have happened there, as well as the output of Fox News, which is, of course, an embarrassment to them. And I think Karen Bradley, because we're talking this week, she's made the decision to refer the bid to the, she's the Competition culture Authority. Secretary, just she's the cu- cu- uh, Culture Secretary. She, to, she g- give her mm. some credit. I mean, thanks to Avaz, the campaigning organisation. Bit, bit of pressure from you. You can take some of the credit. Bit of pressure from me. I think it's all Ed's doing. She is, she is referring the bid to the Competition Authority on the grounds of plurality. So that's the Murdoch's power and broadcasting standards. So, you know, whether they can be trusted to to take control of Sky News, and there will now be a six-month investigation. We may not succeed because it's done by a independent organisation, the Competition Authority, but I think, it, you know, there is now going to be a proper examination of the Murdoch's record. But I think there's, you know, a lot of... I think, I'm afraid one thing that's come out of this is Ofcom, the regulator, has done incredibly badly because you've got a Conservative uh, Culture Secretary, Karen Bradley, who is more standing up to the Murdoch's than the regulator. They told her not to refer mm-hmm. refer it on these particular grounds of broadcasting standards. So, so anyway, that's why we're doing it, and I'm doing it with Ken Clark and Vince Cable and Charlie Faulkner. And about- it was interesting, wasn't it? Because it, it was a cosy consensus for a long time, wasn't it? I mean, I was I interviewed the other day Mark Seddon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the former editor of Tribune. Mm-hmm. Lovely chap, lovely guy. And uh, why don't you tell our listeners what Tribune is? Oh, hello. Yeah, Tribune is a. Uh, magazine that almost no one reads. That's harsh. Uh, it's sorry. He's a lovely guy, though. <laughs> he doesn't edit it. Hi, Mark. Okay. Podcast. It's a. It's um. It's a a very well respected Labour publication. Once edited by Michael Foote, who is you know uh, formerly the Labour Party. Yeah. So Mark uh, Mark Seddon, he told me about once how he's brought in to number ten. And he, he walks in and he's he's sitting with I think John Cruddus, who then who's now a Labour MP, used to work there. And he sees Angie Hunter, a senior official within Tony Blair's administration, with Rupert Murdoch with her his arm around her walking around number ten. 
So it was both New Labour and the Conservatives, wasn't it? And in a sense, that was a consensus I suppose you broke because you didn't you didn't get on that well with, with Rupert, did you? you and know? phone hacking was the thing that um, bro- broke it because when phone hacking was revealed, mm-hmm. it was a hacking of Millie Dowler's phone. People may remember this. Uh, it was a big scandal in the summer of 2011. And the question was, should Rebecca Brooks, who was then the chief executive, I think, of News mm-hmm. International, who had been the editor of the Sun at the time, uh, should she resign and take responsibility for it? And saying Rebecca Brooks should resign was a declaration of war on the Murdochs, as they saw it. And I said she should resign, and you know, then we had the Leveson inquiry and all kinds of other things um, followed. But but they, they have a lot of control of our media at the moment. This, this is the, one of the important things to get across. They own the Sun of the Times' largest circulation newspapers. They've got their own commercial... Uh, national commercial talk radio uh, station through their part ownership of Sky because they're currently part owners of Sky they own uh, their part ownership of uh, Sky News uh, re- provision of radio news to almost every commercial radio station the second largest internet service provider and they would get all of that mm. if they took over Sky and think about that power that he would have mm. across every platform radio TV newspapers internet you know I think that should make us worried, given, well, in any, any about anybody, but particularly about somebody with such a strong ideological agenda. And you only need to look at the output of Fox News in America to see where Rupert Murdoch's heart truly lies. You know, right-wing, <clears throat> bigoted, mm-hmm. peddling theories that President Obama wasn't born in the United States, you know, the so-called birther controversy. Um, you know, on the day after the recent Charlottesville attacks... Where Donald Trump was criticised, they had somebody who had called Barack Obama a mongrel. They had it gone for an hour. A bit much. You know, it's so unbelievable. I mean, in terms of how we maintain that grip over the political elite in this country, I mean, I've spoke to, so interviewed, for example, Chris Bryant, who is a Labour MP, who was one of the people who, I suppose, went to war against the Murdoch Empire in his own way. And they'd end up with, basically, with personal threats, that they would basically destroy people using their private lives. I mean, is it true? MPs, some MPs lived in fear that if they took on Murdoch, he would shred them. I suspect some people still do. Mm. Look, I think it's, you know, they, 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 they were not afraid to use their power. Um, do you think, though, that I felt like all of the tabloids were very triumphalist after Brexit because most of the political establishment, I, th- I think, were backing Remain. Yeah. And most people didn't think that Leave would win. And, the, and most of the tabloids supported Leave, and I think they were quite triumphalist after that. But I feel like a lot of the wind has been taken out of their sails after the election because they all back the Tories. They all ridiculed the idea of a hung parliament. Um, and I remember uh, commentators openly laughing at the idea of a hung parliament or of um, Labour doing well in the election. And, I mean, the Daily Mail's coverage was just in- incredible. Mm. It was a 13-page... Yeah. Conservative propaganda the day yeah. before the election. I remember reading it like mm-hmm. when I was terrorists. And so yeah, on. and it, it it had literally a how do you vote to get the most Tories in election guide, and even recommended voting for Nick Clegg. I think. Ooh. Well, I mean that is Why too far. That is too far. <laughs> Nobody should want a victory that much. Dignity. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, I do you feel though that maybe that even though the election was a bad election for them. The yeah. election was definitely a bad election for them. What and credit think? to Jeremy Corbyn's team because they found other ways of going, you know, around them through social media and other things. But but I don't think we should be sanguine either about the power that they have mm. uh, 
or about the power that Murdoch, the additional power that Murdoch would have. I just sort of, fundamentally, I think, this guy's got a lot of power over our media landscape. We don't want him having any more. Yeah. You know, however much, and, and, and the more that power is attenuated and diminished, good. Um, but, you know, he, he, he would have power. And, and you know, it does influence, Fox News in the United States has a significant influence. If you look at the yeah. Donald Trump talking points after Charlottesville, after that terrible terrorist attack, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, a, a number of his talking points were based on stuff that had been on Fox mm-hmm. News. Mm. He watches Fox News and the discourse. Yeah, I think even if like the public are paying increasingly less attention to the press, I still think that the establishment they they still even they still influence the establishment even if they don't influence the public as much. And they influence the BBC and the what is in the papers influences the BBC and Mm. you know all of that stuff. Mm. I mean, because what you know, we're often told we have a free press, and in a sense, the government doesn't control the press. That's true. We're not North Korea, which is. Not the most ambitious of places to start. But I mean, flippant, because in other countries, journalists are tortured and imprisoned and murdered and and all the rest. But it's still the case that the vast majority of our press is owned by a very small group of very rich media moguls. And they help define the acceptable realm of public debate in this country. I mean, it is true, you're right. I mean, Ellie's heart, you know, if you look at the Sun, which threw everything at Labour in this election, a th- a 30% of Sun readers who voted voted Labour, despite the poison they were being given every day. But it is still the case, isn't it, that the political priorities, the angles, the, you know, and that includes what BBC select as their priorities, it is still under the grip of these very small group of very right wing moguls, effectively. And that's the problem. It's a democratic deficit issue, isn't it? Yeah, and, 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 you know, we we want you want a free press in this country. You know, one of the things that I think marks us out from America is that the combination of the BBC, ITV, and actually Sky News have to follow certain rules on objectivity, impartiality. Mm. But the problem is, if you have the wrong owner of Sky News, they can really push the boundaries of that. Mm. And actually, one of the things that's quite worrying is when you look at some of the regulator Ofcom's rulings about. Some of the stuff's been on Fox News, they, which was until recently broadcasting in the UK, is quite worrying what is allowed. Mm. So that's why I'm involved in this campaign. Taking on the man. The man himself. Exciting. Very exciting. Um, so the only thing we're going to be talking about probably for the next 10 years is Brexit. I'll have to say as a columnist it's quite irritating because... You know, you have to write half day. It's so boring. I know that it's ramblings about. Oh my god! But how many angles can you make? I mean, it's the next year and a half is going to be a car crash negotiations. Literally having to turn the same column out. Can't they think of a columnist if if nothing else? But I mean, (laughs) so Doncaster. Bit late for that. (laughs) Won't somebody think of the columnist? We have such difficult lives. It's going to be maybe the placard. Maybe you need a placard. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be a good one for a sort of demonstration. The world's smallest violin. Who will protect the, the columnist? Well, I, you yeah. know, just saying. We, we should... need new material. We need. <laughs> that's what my. What do we way... want? New material. When do we want <laughs> yeah. it now? Well, it yeah. is. When do we want it on a weekly basis? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just Trump says something stupid and Brexit. That's now our. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's messy though, isn't it? Let's be honest. So Doncaster, where you you represent, mm-hmm. obviously you're an MP there. It was it was about 70 percent Brexit. What I mean. What do you think happened there? And what... Because some people look at Labour now and think, well, they're in a very difficult position because you get some people in London who think this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Just make it go away. And then you've got... And they vote Labour. In Hackney, 80% of people voted to remain. But you're a Labour MP represented a place where they think, oh, I've got my country back. Tricky, isn't it? I mean, so what do you think happened? And how's Labour 
Do you, what do you think of what Labour's what doing? What happened was people voted definitely, if you think about my constituency, people definitely voted because of issues like immigration and concerns about immigration. Some of it real, some of it perceived. So some of it is about the undercutting of wages. Now, that is to do with the labour market we have and all of that and the way that employers are able in our labour market to exploit people to, to, to do that. Um, but I think what's really important is to look underneath that and and say, a woman said to me the day after the referendum, which is, I voted for a new beginning for my grandchildren. Brexit became, and often people in Remain areas are surprised when I say this. People voted for it because they thought this is a chance to say we want something different. We don't feel included. We don't feel this country works for us. And so part of the challenge here, obviously I was for Remain. I wasn't for the referendum in the first place. As you know, if I'd become prime minister in 2015, we wouldn't have had the referendum. Part yeah, of the not boor- I mean, it would be no- it'd be not boring. So I'm not trying to say your premiership would You're be boring. Like, what's that thing called? The Milliverse. <laughs> yeah, there's a Twitter <laughs> account. that. Yeah. It's a Twitter account, uh, which a Twitter account which I think has been set up entirely to taunt Ed Miliband, yeah. uh, and it's about it's, it's partly taunt, partly in sort of good. No, no, but I mean, no, 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 no. Sorry, no, I didn't mean yeah. it like that. I mean, it's in a very positive way. It's just, with me, no, no, that's what I meant. Sorry, I mean At taunt, least, so. uh, taunt in the sense of look how great Britain could be if Ed Miliband is prime minister. Is what I meant. It sort of yeah. says the most exciting thing that would happen would be that I kind of lost my pen at the kind of president yeah, exactly. with, with the Norwegian prime minister, or I did a kind of presentation of the Moomins to yeah to the cabinet. But it's it's. In, it's an Ed Miliband um, uh, support. He's very supportive of Ed Miliband. That's what I meant, sorry. But it suggested that I'd be so bored um, because there's nothing to complain about particularly. Uh, that, you? That You'd st- find something. Oh, well, I'd, oh, no, I would have done. I would have winged like, yeah, of course I would. No, but we would have been, I mean. But I would have taken up knitting, to uh, be, apparently. To be serious, sorry to interject, to sorry, interrupt your sorry. joke, but to be serious for a minute, we would have been, <laughs> we would have been, we would have been tackling the things that are the underlying issues that, in my view, drove this referendum inequality, the chance of the next generation, public services, you know, under threat, all of those things. So people then say, well, okay, so if it's on the underlying issues that was partly what drove it, we should just sort of ignore the referendum result or, you know, reverse it. And I say, but you can't, if part of the motivation for this referendum was the sense among people that they are ignored, the political class hasn't taken any notice from, if your response is, well, sorry, we're going to ignore the referendum result, that is going to get you nowhere. Mm. So, look, I basically think Labour is in the right place. Place on this. The referendum's happened. We're not trying to ignore it. We're trying to make the best of it. But we're not going to let a Tory government take us off an economic cliff. Mm. Um, and I think the position that Keir Starmer has taken on the transition, I think, by the way, it's a position that Conservatives will end up with. And I think you know, very soon they'll have to admit that they'll sort of huff and they'll puff, but they'll so basically just say they've adopted yeah. Labour's... Sorry. Oh, because in a year and a half, basically, what's going to happen is, under the Tories, as things stand, out we go, out of the customs union, which negotiates trade treaties on behalf of all European EU states, and the single market, which has tariff-free trade uh, across Europe. So we'll suddenly be out of that very, very quickly, whilst Labour's saying, well, that, that might not pan out that well, so we should stay in for at least two years in a transitional phase and just see how it all goes. But but, but also, you know, this is, as David Davis, the man who said it will all be very simple, now says it's as complicated <laughs> as the moon landing and Brexit, and it just isn't time to negotiate the kind of end point in the whatever it is, 18 months that are um, that are remaining before we actually leave in March 2019. So as important as Brexit and getting it right is incredibly important is uh, tackling these underlying questions. But, but you know, to Remainers who are listening to this and say, but, you know, I'm really worried that Brexit is going to be you know, caused deep on the country. 
I, I totally get that. Mm. I totally get that. I don't. I didn't want us to be in this place, but I don't think you can wish it away. I know. I agree with that. I've got a friend who um, she's American and she's very wise politically, and she knew lots of people who would have either voted for. Bernie Sanders or Trump. Mm. But she said, my friend said, you know, they, they want they want change and they'd prefer love, but if they can't have love, they'll take hate. And I think there's, you know, in the sense that, like, the people's priority is change. And Brexit yeah. was the only thing that was offered to them. But your friend voted for Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, most, the, the fact is that 99% of people on the left in America who didn't like Hillary Clinton voted for her because... Is that true, though? Yes. Well, a lot of... The, the polling says... Look, the, there's that woman, Jill Stein, who was the Green candidate, and she sort of after... She got like 1%. Well, yeah, yeah, but 1% was quite important in this election. As somebody said afterwards, you know, Jill Stein is like the person who... Um, I'm going to get this wrong, but the person who ruins your wedding and is there for you during the divorce. I mean, you know, <laughs> so after the event, she sort of, she kind of says, ruins your marriage and is there for you during the divorce. She sort of says, you know, she, she was someone for the person who... who um, well, you know, anyway. Yeah, but I always think with that, I mean, we're going a bit off there from Brexit, but I mean, with... with It's all part of the same thing, though, isn't it? Well, I just think there's always Brexit, this... Always, they're always banded together. Well, there's this tendency. It's the same with, I think, some Remainers, which is, rather than look at the failures of the Remain campaign... I mean, look, the Leave campaign was toxic. It was full of lies. The NHS, 350 million on a bus, that kind of thing, the, about Turks and, and so on. But there was a failure on the part of the Remain campaign to inspire people. And Hillary's campaign, which she sort of acknowledged. Yeah, I think... I no, think I don't she think she has. did. And, I, and I'm going to feel this one as the woman because um, and feminist because one thing I've noticed is that whenever... Um, people criticise Hillary Clinton, it's often construed as sexism. So mm. I'm going to say this as a woman and a feminist. I think the main reason why Hillary Clinton lost the election is because Hillary Clinton's campaign was rubbish. I think she still hasn't learned any of the lessons from why she failed. I think she still thinks that we're living in an era where you can offer sort of technocratic solutions to these big problems that people have in their lives. So she hasn't detected this undercurrent of mm. like anger, this kind of need for change. And also, you know, the main problem, the reason why Trump won was not because he suddenly won loads of extra votes. It was because there was a collapse in the Democratic vote. Exactly. He actually won a similar but, percentage. But, but of I vote. think where you're right is is that I basically agree with you. And I, I think where you're right is that he totally, hypocritically, falsely, cynically tapped into that sense of anger at Wall Street anger at economic injustice. If you look at the last ad that Trump did during the election campaign, it was criticised as being anti-Semitic. It because was a of, little bit. Yeah, yeah, but the point is, I'm afraid the, that was the political class missing the point. Yeah, yeah of course, I know, I agree. It was anti-Semitic, but what was it saying? It was saying, the global elite have taken your jobs, closed your factories, mm -hmm. and robbed you of your livelihoods, and the only thing that can stop them is, uh, is, is we, is you, the people, and our movement. Mm. Now... You know, but the thing is, he is was tapping all... in. Now, yeah. now, you know, the guys like got, you know, he's, you know, his cabinet is kind of Goldman Sachs up the yeah, wazoo. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, that is the point. And, and so, um, so I basically think you're right. Yeah, I mean, on yeah. that, I think... He, but he's right. When he, when he says the global elite have, like, take your jobs mm. and ruin your livelihood, and the only thing that can stop it is people coming together, like, that is... Yeah, right. he's appropriating. But it's just that he's then directing it in this kind of white nationalist, actually ultra-capitalist totally, direction. Totally. But I think that's what the similarities are on both sides of the Atlantic and actually elsewhere, which is you've got this kind of very technocratic, centrist politics, 
which has dominated the West for quite a long time and doesn't understand... Third-way politics. Exactly, and that dominated... Yeah. the end. In, in the end of the 90s, you had Gerhard Schroeder in Germany, you had Lionel Jospin in France, you had the Socialists in Spain, you had in the Netherlands, you had Scandinavia, and they were all kind of variants of that whole kind of model of politics. And th their view was, basically, the view of a lot of them is now, as they are besieged, is we're the sane ones and everybody else has just gone basically do-lally. And that, I think, is the case in America where, you know, I'm not saying misogyny didn't play a role, did, all the Russians or whatever, but it that, that total failure to examine, and it's not just about Hillary Clinton, but, but, this is why it isn't yeah. about making it about her, it's about a strain uh, of politics yeah. but, but can on I, this... Okay, but can I put it, but look, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of be self-critical here. Look, part of the challenge, I, I accept some of what you say about Hillary, um, but but look, part of the challenge here is to match the scale of the uh, diagnosis with the problems of the country, America or Britain, you know, inequality, stagnant wages, all of that. And I think if Hillary Clinton was sitting here, she would probably agree with a lot of that with the scale of the solution. Mm. Now, you see, it seems to me that one of the things that the populist right did is that they came up with awful solutions, but the solutions looked big. Yeah, like let's just build a big wall. Build a wall, yeah. get out of the yeah. European Union, chuck out the immigrants, all terrible things which are not going to solve the problem. And, and you know, I'm not saying that we should uh, emulate the sort of, you know, fake solutions of the, of the populist right. But I think one of the things that Jeremy Corbyn has got right is the sense of you need big answers to these questions. And, and, and to take us in a slightly different um, <clears throat> direction... I think part of the challenge for everyone in the Labour Party who wants a Labour government is to try and be part of that process of what are the policies that are going to be both that are going to work, um, so not emulating the right, but are going to be sufficiently radical to meet the um, to meet the challenge of the moment. And you know, as I look back as my time on my time as leader, one of the things that always slightly sort of troubled me was. The, the the salute the the diagnosis other people I'm sure Owen pointed this out many times the diagnosis <laughs> no. was uh, um, was very big mm. the solutions often felt too incremental mm. but that that's hard and by the way that is hard that's why Jeremy Corbyn needs help and support on this but you were the, it's hard. You, you were the bridge to him you were the bridge to Corbynism. No, no Ed, no, Je no Jeremy. Well, no, I was true. So, I, I, so I if it all that. goes wrong, it will be back here. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, I, I said myself that I think, uh, you know, I've used that uh, similar phrase. I, I think I, I recognised we need to move on from New Labour, that we needed answers to these huge challenges that I've talked about that people face in their lives. And, you know, as I say, so, that, so that's why I think... Yeah. But I think I do... I, I, I mean, it's funny because you're not... I mean, you know, obviously as angry and bitter a person as I am. Because you are owed, I think, a substantial number of apologies. Because there was all these people go, he's destroyed the Labour Party, him slagging off New Labour all the time, that opened up the space to Jeremy Corbyn. Which is odd because New Labour, when it was founded, rejected the past of Labour. Thatcherism did the same with the Tories at the time. Because they both, in a sense, in their own different ways, said, well, times have changed. We have to, you know, move on decisively and all the rest of it. And the fact is, even if those solutions you proposed didn't go far enough, 
You were more right than your detractors. They should apologise. If you're yeah. listening, apologise to Ed immediately. No, but look, do, do this. Owen says speaking, not me. Um, <laughs> that was Ed. He's, he's nodding his head furiously. He's, he's got his two thumbs up. No, I'm not. Yeah, no. Why is there a poster in your office of all the people that have wronged you? Ed? Yeah, exactly. With a, with with a, a dartboard. Yeah. Uh, um, no, the reason why I'm not interested in that is because... Look, I think the challenges that we face going forward are too big. And, you know, you, if you lose an election, you take responsibility. As David Axelrod famously said to me, you know, you're never as dumb as you look when you lose or as smart as you look when you win. Uh, and that is correct. Um, but but that goes with the territory. Yeah, well, they're still wrong. I think there's another element to, you know, you were talking about then people like Trump and Corbyn, even though I would like to emphasise that they're completely different. Um <laughs> One thing that they both have in common is that they uh, that they offer big solutions. But I think there's another element to this as well, which is if you look at Hillary Clinton's campaign slogan, it was I'm with her. And for me, what that suggested was um, Hillary Clinton is necessary for you to be OK. You know, if you back Hillary Clinton, she'll look after you. Whereas, you know, Trump's inauguration speech, I was there, I saw him do it live. Mm, yeah. And for all of its like horrible. You wrote bits of it, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Actually, do you know what? You say that, but actually. Um... She, she no, did. No, 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 don't no. admit this, honestly. <laughs> she came out no, with that. No, no, please, honestly, this is going to be bad for your ratings. Well, it's no, it'll be great ratings. for our ratings. It will, it will shift the audience, yeah. that's um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, when my. Ali Mayo comes out as alt right. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Bannon, Mark II. Exactly. Um, no, when I when I posted on Facebook that I was going to America to for the inauguration, um, so one of my friends made a joke saying like, "Oh, I've heard that you're speaking at it." And my mum messaged me and she was like, "Are you speaking at it?" Which is like my which is very sweet because it's my mum's like uh, propensity to like totally overestimate how successful oh. I am all the time. But also, she's so successful. Donald Trump's asked her to, yeah. speak, to be asked fair, to speak actually, at the like so few, so many people said no when he asked them, and probably it would have got yeah. round to. I was on the list yeah. eventually. Um, but anyway, like the no. YMCA, that's what I was going to do. Good on steps. You'd be yeah. an excellent steps impressionist. Exactly. Yeah. No, but um, his speech for all of its white nationalist kind of horror, one of its key messages was, um, "You put me here." Like to his supporters, mm. I would not be mm. here. I am necessary. You are necessary for mm. my success. And he said a movement as well. Yeah, and I think that is one thing that Corbyn does and Bernie does very well is that instead of saying like I am necessary for you to be okay, what they say is you are necessary for me to be here. I'm only here because of y- your. I, I, power. I think this is important. But and I he want, makes you feel. I, I know. Part I just want something. to do a sort of t- sort of time out here, which is that one of the th- critiques I don't like is the notion that the populist. What is that? That's pa- it's a parliamentary bell, so everyone... If you're listening, you're probably wondering why there's a strumming of a piano. There's a piano in the corner, so it's just occasionally... <laughs> That's me, actually. Yeah. Just That's just, just Ed. Playing a few notes. Trying to play uh, tragedy uh, by steps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it's, a, it's a parliamentary uh, bell thing. It tells you when there's a change of speaking. Yeah, in we're in Car- Ed's lovely office overlooking the Thames. There's actually two of his staff members here who have just been sitting there waving. Singing. They're ready to throw themselves in front of the yeah. microphone if I yeah. do something wrong. <laughs> they look uh, terrified because uh, of the Dickensian conditions. What, I don't like... This just the thing you have to be careful about is saying the populist left and the populist yeah. right are basically the same. No. The populist left blames the bankers, the populist right blames the immigrants. No, I both think of them, I'm not saying you're saying that, yeah. but I mean, I think it's really important to say that that critique from some people in the center of politics, I just think, is just totally wrong. It's poison because, because our analysis of why we have inequality, which is a free market capitalist system uh, that has been under regulated for too long, is right. And theirs, the the populist right, is 
you know, blaming sort of false victims and and uh, some others, outsiders, and all that. But I, I know you're not saying no, that. No, no, but I think yeah. it's really important to sort of count to sort of counter yeah, something because that is the liberal interpretation, isn't it? It's basically yeah, they hate all the bank. Populism is the same, and it's actually that's not well the with case bankers and the immigrants. You know, they'll say one hates the bankers, one hates the immigrants. The difference is. You know, the crisis we're in was caused by people. You know, there are people accountable. Is this idea if you're blaming someone, you're scapegoating them? The financial sector had a big role. Immigrants, who are obviously had no role, had no role at all. Yeah. So it's not, you know, some of the behaviour of bankers is hateful, but it's not about hating the bankers. It is about hating a system that produces the injustices that it does. Systemic. It's a a sort of systemic, you know, question, and 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 I think that it's look, it is so. Uh, different and and also it's a it's a kind of hopeful politics. It's not a nasty mean politics, and I think that is really important. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, by the way, I think that is an important point, which is that you know we've got to be the people who are for a hopeful, inclusive yeah. politics, and that is got, you know yeah. politics of hope against the politics of fear. I mean, that's it. Nativism, hate the people at the bottom of society, blame your neighbour for all your problems. Or hold vested interest to account and build a more equal society. Yeah, yeah I think fine. the way I see it is that both the far right and the radical left were able to identify that there were flaws in centrism, but that their political outlooks are completely different. And actually, it is only the left that offers the kind of solutions that are needed for the kind the sort of crises that we're facing, like the fact that more wealth now goes to landlords than it does to workers, the fact that there's a climate crisis... The right offers no but by, solutions but by to the that. way, just, it just partly goes back to something Owen said earlier. I think that is a view across the vast majority of the Labour Party. Yeah. And I think it's a really important sort of, that is a really important thing to say, that I think whether you voted for Jeremy Corbyn or didn't vote for Jeremy Corbyn, I think that is a view that is shared right across. And, and you know, I think people can get behind Jeremy Corbyn and get behind that agenda. Um, so there was this piece in Labour and Cop a few months ago. And it predicted that you were going to be uh, turfed out of Parliament in Doncaster, that you, that you and other MPs faced electoral oblivion. Right. What was your majority then? 14,000. Is right. that an increase? It is an increase. So your majority went on. Did not go to plan um, for them. So what would Labour and Court, by the way, is a very Blairite kind of... But don't uh, be sectarian. Uh, don't be sectarian. No, well, they are. But, um, I know, I know, yeah. but one... They're vicious. One, I don't... I don't speak for them or speak about them uh, I don't know exactly what they do but but you know no, I think one of, no, you can be serious. our you can be our conscience this was just no, a no, no, I'm, we'll I'm be the sort of, I'm going to be kind of boring dad here I mean you know I, I think it is really important this which is you know I think one of the things I prided myself on when I was leader of the Labour Party was I don't think Labour should be a broad church because I want to kind of uh, you know, dilute radical policies, but I think that there is wisdom across the Labour Party, and I think it is really, Im- and that, yeah, I think I that is very important. Yeah, but I'm not interested. Let's go partly go back to this apology thing. I mean, that I'm is very interested. generous of you because Simon Dantuck was an MP when you were leader, so that's incredibly generous. But, but he accused me of being from the post part stop point. Ed Miliband keeps using his line, by the way. But I'm not interested in set- in score settling, and I think it is, I think that is really important. No, okay. By the way, it was just a hot blimey. Okay, sorry. Um, I, know, I, I mean, mean to get on my eye at you. Labour have blamed both of us. <laughs> For helping to destroy Ed the Labour Miliband, party. not interested in score settling. Yeah, exactly. We've established that. I mean, Labour and Court did blame 
directly both of us personally actually for helping destroy the Labour Party. But I mean, no, but who cares? No, no I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just I just forget it. All I meant was just to let just for the record, I got off scot free. <laughs> so, so no blood in her hands. No, what I was just trying to say before we got into all of that was, um, so there were lots. They of, go low, we go high. Ugh. Don't even <laughs> stop. <laughs> that's 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 me vomiting all over his office. Um, look, what I was saying was that there was all these predictions in in places like yourself, nor, nor, northern constituencies, yeah. that Labour were going to get wiped out. Yeah. And that did not happen. Labour went from 30% to 40%, the biggest increase in its vote since 1945. Didn't win because of the two-party system, but look where Labour started from. What was your reading? What did you Did you see it on the ground? Why, Why did that happen? Come on, tell us. I think it's a very complicated election, an incredibly unexpected election. And, you know, I think one of the things one should conclude about this election is that nobody knows anything because you know the the most every Tory MP as far as I can tell most Tory MPs most Labour MPs whether they were Corbynites Blairites whoever they were thought it was going to be a big Tory majority I think what happened I think I think Jeremy Corbyn mobilized uh, a new electorate and I think he deserves credit for that significant credit for that I think people who were doubtful at the beginning of the campaign came home to Labour and I saw the doubt, and I saw the people coming back. So you did see it? You did see evidence of this momentum, no pun intended, coming back to Labour? Did you see yes. that, Doncaster? Yes, D- yes, definitely. What was the turning point for you? When did you see this isn't going... I think the manifesto was important. Uh, I think Theresa May's failure to turn up to the debate was important. I think the more people saw of Theresa May, the less they liked <laughs> oh, her. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think Jeremy, during the campaign, uh, changed a lot of people's views about him. Um, so I think all of that is important. To be fair, if he was going to confirm like what the papers said about him, he would have had to have sure. ridden into the studios on a Soviet tank with a pro Hamas T-shirt, firing an Uzi like, while you know. murdering rabbits. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which but, he didn't do on camera. Murder, he, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, he I was just saying, murdered the rabbits rabbit. privately. Now I was doing <laughs> you're going to get joke. sued by yeah, Jeremy exactly. Corbyn for uh, accusing uh, him of yeah. killing yeah. rabbits. Um, so so um, <laughs> I think anyone sensible looking at the election. Mm will say it was a you know it was an unexpectedly good performance uh Jeremy deserves big credit for that although we didn't win the election and we're not in government uh, there are two op- opposing views you can take about the next election it's in the bag or labor's not going to win this was a unique set of circumstances i take neither of those views it's not in the bag but it is we're sort of game on and <clears> and we <throat> should be optimistic, hopeful that we can win the next election, but there's a lot of work to do to do that, you know, including winning back some of the people who didn't vote for us. All right, so in that case, what does Labour need to do to win the next election? It's down to you, Ed. Well, I don't think it should be down to me. I, 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 <laughs> um, I think I would more say, what do I want to contribute? I want to help uh, from the back benches contribute some of the ideas which can, you know, build on the manifesto of 2017 um, and... You know, build on the momentum that Jeremy has created, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give him advice about how he should win the election. I think there are lots of smart people around him who can, sort of, you know, who will understand the challenges. One of the good things he said after the election to the PLP was, "I'm gonna go and talk to some of the MP, the few MPs who lost their seats, um, to understand why that happened." Uh, and I think that's important. And you know, I think he's he's seeking to assemble a new coalition of people to to support Labour. And I think you know he's. You know he's 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 doing well, and uh, you know I'm I'm sure he's very focused on that. Ed Miliband is being 
Uh, well, I suppose a polite description would be, mo- be modest, but I would say conniving because he's actually trying to steal our listenership yeah. with his own podcast. Um, what are you trying to do? Was Radio 2 not enough for you, Ed? Oh, I would have no. raped the podcast political yeah, market I'm and feeling like I'm being pod- sort of beaten up here. Um, <laughs> so we're here no, to I tell you don't me- listen to it. I just casually mentioned that in the next few weeks I, I'm going to be hopefully starting my own podcast with um, uh, someone called Jeff Lloyd. Uh, used to be on Absolute Radio. I love Jeff Lloyd's uh, And uh, interviewed me during the 2015 election. And what we're tr- going to try and do is a podcast about ideas. So policy ideas may sound boring, but sort of, you know, ideas to change the country. He's interested in helping to bring those ideas to a wider audience. And uh, that's what we're going to be doing. Have so you given we'll, it a name yet? For it. It, provisionally, it's called Reasons to be Cheerful. Well, oh, I like that. Gosh. After the, Are you going to have the be introduced by the Ian Jury song? I think we probably can't afford it, actually. Anyway, that's the matter for sort of yeah. Jeff. Um, but, uh, don't listen to the podcast. No, yeah, do. don't it's, listen to it. it don't sounds... listen to it. Reasons to be Cheerful. You can download it soon, but do not do that. <laughs> um, well, on, the, on that one... <laughs> no, not... it sounds actively good. I'm going to listen to it. Right. If your radio show was anything to go by, I downloaded all five hours of that and listened to oh, it. Are we getting... Well, I, I, I regard it less of a... I regard it less of a sort of listen, listening to a radio show and more like a religious experience, to be honest. Aww, that was too, isn't that nice? Too busy. <laughs> that's that's um, nice. That's too Aww, nice. That isn't that's not too nice for Owen Jones. He's looking so uncomfortable. You're such a suck-up, yeah. Annie. What a suck-up. Does that... I mean, honestly, just enough of this. Enough of this. <laughs> and that's where Ed was like, oh, that's nice and not creepy. That's nice. Please leave my office now. I never told you this, but every time... I hear your name because basically oh, when God, this sounds creepy already <laughs> I'm actually going to segue into a step song no um, no when I when you were a leader I was doing a job that meant that I had to watch PMQs every week for you I know I know I know I, I had I, to do it, it every was, week yeah <laughs> God we, we should commiserate over that sometimes trauma I, I feel like I was equally traumatised by yeah, that yeah that's pretty but like every time I hear your name now I always have this urge to go Ed Miliband, like John Burko. Because like every week I would hear him shouting your name over and over again. And it's this weird tick I've got in my head. That's, a leader of the opposition deserves to be heard and he will be heard. So um, thank you for tuning in to yeah. Agitpod, the rival to Reasons <laughs> to be Cheerful. I've been Owen Jones. I've been Ellie Mayo Hagen. Do you I've been do- Ed Miliband. <laughs> Why did we do this? Uh, but thanks for tuning Sorry, in. Sorry, Ed. And uh, we Thank will you. we will speak to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.